Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, turn to Mark 4. We're going to look through verses 1 to 34. <clears throat> Mark 4, 1 to 34, and just keep your devices on that passage. We're going to go through it. Uh, also, you can use the sermon notes that your life group leader sent, or it's in the mobile app. <clears throat> I, I wanted to just kind of make a statement that hearing and listening is a really underrated skill. How many of us, you agree with that? Hearing and listening is a really underrated skill. Is Most of us, we think that hearing and listening is easy, but when it really comes down to the crucial times that we have to hear and listen, that it, it seems like our ears uh, fail us. Our minds, our hearts, they fail us. And I don't know how many of you have watched this movie called Inside Out. It was a Pixar movie that came out uh, some time ago. And, and I think there's this one part that really demonstrates the power of good listening and the problem with bad listening or bad hearing. So I want you to see the dynamics between the three characters in this, uh, in this really short clip and then uh, give us a little bit of insight on what it means to listen and to hear. Let's watch it together. Talk about quick emotion change, right? <laughs> don't raise your hand. How many of you have a significant other or friend who's like that? No, I'm just, don't, don't raise your hand, all right? <laughs> they might be sitting next to you. I, I think listening and hearing is so overrated, or so underrated. <laughs> Some earwax in my ear and... I don't know about you, but you know, many of us were like, oh yeah, that's how human relationships ought to be. You ought to be there to listen to that person, just allow them to be themselves and express how they feel. And we're like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sadness. But I think the question is, how many of us, we're just like joy in some of those moments? Maybe not when our friend is like that, but maybe there are other situations that we're so focused on ourselves, we're so focused on the goal, we're so focused on the things that we want, that we're not able to slow down and just listen. And there's some element of it that in human relationships, we're able to cue into that maybe as we're growing in, in empathy and understanding. And we're like, yeah, I could do that with another person. But now I want to ask us, how many of us are able to do that with God? How many of us are able to sit there and listen and hear what God is actually saying instead of like joy, even though joy seems like the, the place that we always want to be and the attitude that we always want to have, that we could just sit and listen to say, hey, God, maybe, maybe what I want and what my direction is, is not where you're going, is not what I need, is not what you want in this moment. And I think that's what Mark wants us to get a little glimpse into. That's why he says, pay attention to what you hear, because what he's saying is maybe your hearing and your listening isn't as good as what you think it is. And I hope that's something that we can be humble enough to accept and recognize because in today's society, there's so much noise. There's so many things that we prioritize, that we want, that we don't stop just to listen and to hear what it is that God is saying. So if there's one thing that we can take away from this morning, it's that the kingdom of God is revealed to those that hear and follow Jesus, but concealed to those who don't. It, there's, a, there's a difference. There's a, there's a dichotomy. There's a play against those who are with Jesus, those who are inside, or those who are family compared to those who are not, those who are outside. And I think it's surprising and a little bit uh, scary to actually figure out 
who it is that's really inside and who is it that's inside. And I think it has to do with hearing. And so as we talk about this whole uh, concept of hearing, there's going to be three questions that I think Mark is trying to pose us, pose to us in this passage. The first is, how is your hearing? The second is, how are you hearing? And the third one is, how must you hear? So we're going to think first talk about how is your hearing. Hopefully you've turned to Mark 4. We're going to look at first, uh, first 20 verses, uh, 1 to 20. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but Again, bear with me. I, I think it's important to keep this passage together. So uh, let me read it, and you can follow along uh, in your Bibles. Verses 1 to 20, Mark 4. It says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in on it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they, they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold. How is your hearing? How is your hearing? When we look at this parable, we have to note that parables are not meant to be interpreted allegorically. What that means is it's not like there's some hidden meaning inside each of the symbols within the parable. The parable generally has one point, one main point. And yes, I, I know um, generally when we study a parable like the for any of you who've been in church for any, any length of time, you've probably heard a sermon on the parable of the sower and we, we dig into it and we look at, oh, which of the... Which of the soils is your heart in? Are you the one on the path? Are you one on the rocky ground? Are you and, and there's merit to that because we do need to inspect our hearts. We do need to challenge ourselves to say, are we really open to God's word? Are we really open and teachable to what he's trying to say? But I think there's something bigger that Jesus is trying to present to us and Mark is trying to present to us in this parable. There's a reason why he gives us the parable. He gives us the explanation of the parable and then he gives us this mysterious little saying in between these two parables. 
And in many ways, it's kind of, this, is, this, this, this passage is like Inception. Anyone, any of you have not watched Inception? It's a movie where this guy goes into a dream, into a dream, into a dream, and into a dream. And you're like, what's going on? And you don't realize like, what's really happening until he gets out. And even at the end of the movie, you're still unsure which dream he's in. So you're like confused. Like there's too much meta language going on here. Sorry, life group meta. <laughs> because if you look at the parable, who's in the, who is he talking about? He's talking about the very people that he's, are, he, he's speaking to. The parable's about themselves. So the listeners, they're inside the parable. And then as Mark is telling us the words of Jesus, now we as the readers of this text, we're inside the parable, right? So it's a layer upon a layer. And then not only that, he's explaining the parable about the people reading and listening to the parable. Are you confused yet? So let's break down some of these parts on multiple levels. Jesus and Mark is challenging us. How is your hearing? And I want to break it down. Level one is the parable itself, verses one to nine. This is where Jesus gives us the different soils. And he's asking us, which of the soils is bearing fruit? And he ends this part with this little phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying there's something that is wrong with the hearing of the first three soils and something that's right with the last soil. There's a contrast. There's a difference. We don't know exactly what that difference is, but there's a difference. And the key is, are we bearing fruit or not? How is our hearing? The, level, the second level is verses 13 to 20. Jesus explains the parable. So he gives the parable at first, and then he explains the parable to his disciples. And what we're understanding from this is he's, he's coming to the disciples, and he says, how can you not understand this parable? If you can't understand this parable, there's no way you're going to understand all the parables. So he's still asking the disciples the same question. How is your hearing? How are you listening? Do you not understand or do you need further explanation? And then the last level that he comes to us is the explanation of the purpose of the parable. So he gives us the parable. He gives us the explanation of the parable. And then he explains the purpose of giving the parable. And what is he explaining there? He's still asking the same question. How is your hearing? He's still asking us or he's still telling us that the difference between someone who has good hearing and bad hearing is found in this little section in between the parables. It's the difference between someone who's an insider and an outsider. Now, how many of us, we want to be insiders? You want insider tickets? You want insider information? You want you know, insider in, insight to the stock market so you can make the right trades? We, we all want to be insiders. But to be insider is not easy. And you have to go through all these kind of loopholes. And the question is, what differentiates an insider from an outsider in Jesus' terms? And he's saying, it's, it's your hearing. It's how you hear. How your hearing is that makes the difference. This parable, the explanation of the parable, he alludes to this middle section. I want to dive into this middle section because it starts with this phrase, who, he who has ears, let him hear. And we're constantly asking us, so what does it mean to have good hearing? There's one group. The crowds, the scribes, if you remember Mark 2 and Mark 3, he had all these confrontations with people who thought they were holy and religious and righteous. The scribes, the Pharisees, the crowds that were kind of following him. But he contrasted that with him. Who? His disciples. Those who were really close to him. 
And it was disciples who were the only ones that when he was alone, that they were still with him. It was only the disciples that when he withdrew to another place, they followed after him. It was his disciples that when they didn't understand the parable, they were the ones who asked him, Why? What does this mean? What are you trying to say? There's a difference between the crowd and the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples. Now, they didn't understand. And so they, they, they ask him, like, what's going on? What's this parable mean? And he gives this really cryptic reference to the Old Testament. Mark doesn't use many Old Testament references. So when he gives one, it's really significant. And he gives us references Isaiah 6, 8 to 10. This is what he says in Isaiah. He says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and say to this people, and he said, oh, Sorry, go and say to this people, and he, yeah, just go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What's going on in this passage? Isaiah, God calls Isaiah the prophet to go and preach this message to Israel. Israel at that time was led by a lot of wicked kings who were turning away from God, worshiping other gods. And he says, Isaiah, go tell this message to the people. And then right as he's telling Isaiah, I want you to go tell this message to this people. What does he say? Hey, Isaiah, the message you're going to tell these people, they're not going to accept it. They're going to listen, but they're going to reject it. They're going to, they're going to listen. Their eyes are not going to be able to see. They're going to be turning away. They're going to be rebelling. Can, can you imagine if you were given a job and your boss is saying, hey, this job that you're going to try to attempt to, you're going to fail. Can you imagine, like, students, your professor saying, hey, I have an exam for you, and you're all going to get 0%. Like, how would you react? How would you respond? And I think what Isaiah and what Mark and what Jesus is really trying to tease out is there's two ways to respond. In one way, you can just give up and say, well, forget this. You're unfair. You're a wicked boss. You're a terrible person. How can you do this? I, I give up. This is pointless. And many of us, we would respond that way. But as those who are with Jesus, the insiders, what do they do? They asked Jesus. They said, I can't understand. I don't know what to do. I know I'm doomed to fail, but can you explain this to me? Those who have good hearing are the ones who are persistently following and asking and being with Jesus no matter how bleak the situation looks. And they're the ones who are really saying, I want, I want, I want to know you, Jesus, because you are the one who I believe and who I can trust in regardless of what other circumstances, regardless of what other things are going on in my life. Think about the other crowds. Think about the other Pharisees. What happened? They were the ones who were following Jesus, but as soon as his teaching got a little bit too hard, what did they do? They stopped following him. Who are the scribes, the ones that came and asked Jesus all these questions, and as soon as Jesus said something that was too weird or un not understandable, or how could this person forgive sins, what did they do? They drew away from him. When it wasn't convenient, when all these people, think about all the people that Jesus healed, the crowds that he healed, so many people. And once they got their healing fixed, what do they do? They didn't follow him anymore. 
And the question is, your hearing is good when you follow Jesus for Jesus instead of Jesus for all these other things that you could have gotten from Jesus. I, when I was, uh, before I became Christian, when I was pre-Christian, my first year in university, I mean, I, like, pr- I, I praise God because I really feel like God used so many people in my life to bring me to know Christ. But w- the way I, I first got introduced to uh, church community was my, my class, all my peers, the, all the first years at that time, the, the first couple people I made friends with, they all happened to be Christian. And I, I wasn't looking for it, but, you know, my roommate invited me to, like, a free bubble tea event, and then I met all these other Asians, and they all happened to be Christian. They all happened to be going to Life Group. They all happened to be part of Operation Campus Reach, and I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> like, why are all they, you know, wearing weird shirts and stuff like that, right? And, you know, but I, at least I appreciated that they seemed to be like regular, normal people who hung out together, just happened to have faith as a core important part of their life. And so I started to go to life group. I started to enjoy all these things. And somewhere along the line, I, I started to ask myself, is this something I really want to believe? And I came to a really difficult point in my life where I had to ask myself, am I trying to believe in Christianity or am I trying to live like a Christian because all my friends are Christian or because I really know Jesus for who he is and I'm willing to follow him? And I came to this place where I really had no idea where I was, and I was so frustrated with myself. And I remember meeting with one of my life group leaders at that time. And you know, at that time, I had experienced so much love and community, and I was meeting with my life group leader, and I thought it would be a really great meetup where he would just kind of encourage me and tell me, like, keep going, you're doing great, and all this kind of stuff. And guess what happened? It didn't happen like that. <laughs> we sat down, and I shared with him where I was. I kind of felt like I was a crossroads where I felt like, you know, I, I have to figure out who this Jesus is or, and, and I have to differentiate if this is just because of my friends or if it's really something I believe. And he said, he asked me this question. He said, if the difference is whether or not your faith is just purely based on the friends that you have, then he said, it seems like you're at a crossroad. You have to pick one or the other. He said, if you pick the other route, which is not believing in Jesus, then in order to get out of the, the stuck place, the crossroads that you're at, because I, I knew I didn't want to be there, he said, maybe, just maybe, you might have to find new friends. I was like, huh? I, I was like, aren't you supposed to be a life group leader? Aren't you supposed to tell me nice things like that, that make me feel better? And like, you know, and I was like, what are you talking about? Find new friends. Like, that doesn't make sense. And through that conversation, as we talked, what I came away with, what I realized was, is I really have to make a decision and not just wait for this feeling to come about, but I have to ask myself, am I really pursuing Jesus for Jesus? Or am I pursuing Jesus because everyone around me is pursuing Jesus? And I realized that if I don't make a decision, I'm going to be stuck in this place for the rest of my life. And that was the catalyzing conversation that caused me to start reading Christian books on my own. I started actually going to church gatherings, not because my friends wanted to go there, and actually a lot of my friends didn't go, but, I, you know, because I wanted to learn, I wanted to understand who Jesus was, I started to go. And it was that decision that, like, a couple months later that helped me to actually believe and say, I want to become Christian. And I'm wondering, for how many of us, we want Jesus for Jesus, not for all these other things in our lives. It might not be friends for you. It might be all these other things. It could be the benefits that being a Christian comes with. It could be the social acceptance that you have. It could have been that, 
you know, that, that really difficult season of your life that you're going through something, which is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with depending on God. But once you get what you want and then you turn away from Jesus, then what is that? This quote by Frank Labak in, in the devotional he wrote called The Game with Minutes. He talks about prayer, but I think what he says has a lot to do with our attitude toward God. It says this, The trouble with nearly everybody who prays is that he says amen and runs away from before God has a chance to reply. Listening to God is far more important than giving him your ideas. Think about it. How, how many of us, we pray, and we pray the things that we want to pray, and we're trying to ask all these things from God, but before God could give us what he really wants, we've already off to assume that we have our own agenda. We've already decided what God wants for us without really hearing what it is that God wants for us. And how many of us, we come to church thinking that we know what's, what's good or what, what is part of God's kingdom or, or his purposes. But we've already made up our minds without actually listening to God what it is that he wants. And no wonder, anytime we go in this direction, anytime, think about it. Just think about it for your moment. What is a time that you have been in a situation where you thought you were a good Christian going in the right direction and you didn't get something that you wanted or you expected from God? And what did that make you do? What did that make you cause you to do? Did you get bitter at God? Did you get resentful? Did you start questioning him? And if you did, then hopefully it reveals that maybe our hearing wasn't so good after all. Maybe what we really wanted was the gifts of God, the things that God could give us rather than God himself. And that's the problem with so many of us. Is that so many of us, we want these things of God, but we don't want God just like the crowd, just like the people who got healed, just like the scribe, just like the Pharisees, everyone except for the disciples who when Jesus was all alone, they were saying, Jesus, I don't understand anything. I don't know. The, the, things don't make sense. Why are you doing all the things you're doing? This parable, I, I, I can't even understand that. And Jesus is rebuking them. Don't you even understand? And it takes humility to come before God and say, God, you're the only thing that I want. You're the only thing that's worth it. No other name. Do we want Jesus for Jesus or do we want Jesus for all these other things that we can get from him? How is your hearing? I want to challenge us. How is our hearing? Are we hearing just the things that we want from God or are we really attuned to who God really is and what he's trying to speak to us? How is our hearing leads to the question of how are you hearing? Now, there's a slight difference, even though they sound very similar. How is your hearing? compared to how are you hearing. Now, how are you hearing is talking about the quality of your hearing, or the way that you hear, or the, the filter that you hear with. And Mark is going to continue to help us to understand uh, in verses 21 to 25. He says this, And he said to them, this is Jesus again, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not in a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to life. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. How are you hearing? This is the second parable now Jesus is teaching in this whole series. And, you know, whenever we look at, context is important. So when you see a parable right next to another one, you, you have to conclude in some way they're related. There's a reason why Mark puts this parable right after the previous one. 
And you realize in the middle of that verse, like I shared and I asked you to share to, t- say to each other in the beginning, what does he say? He says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. How, how are you hearing? What is it that you're hearing? With what filter, with what lens are you hearing with? And so what, is, what does Mark say about how are you hearing? He first describes, or sorry, Jesus. What, he first describes, there's two things he describes. The first is the lamp. He, he, he goes in this weird parable of the lamp. And he says, there's a lamp that's put on and it shouldn't be put under a basket or a bowl. It should be put on a lampstand. And then he talks about how nothing is hidden except for it to be revealed or to be made manifest. Uh, I want to read it in verse, uh, in the Amplified because I think it helps us to understand it just a little bit better. He says this, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it will come to light. That is, things are hidden only temporarily until the appropriate time comes for them to be known. So what he's saying is, this lamp, we don't know exactly what this lamp is. It could be Jesus. It could be the secrets of the kingdom of God. It could be something. something it's, it's something good. It's something spiritual. It is what the insiders know. He's saying it's secret, private information only to those who understand. But one day, what happens? It will be made public. It will be made known until the appropriate times for them to come to be known. Now, put a pause on that. Understand what the lamp is kind of saying for, for first. And then he goes on to say, pay attention to what you hear. And then he starts to talk about the second thing, which is the measure. And the measure is important because I want to read it in the Amplify to give us, a, again, a little bit more understanding. He says this. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By your own standard of measurement, that is, to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom, it will be measured to you, and you will be given even greater ability to respond. The more will be, and more will be given to you besides. So what is he saying? He's saying that when you measure yourself, the, the, the concept of measuring yourself... It is the way that you see the world. It is your worldview. It is your filter that you see everything. It's how you hear. And if you hear with godly, if you hear with this, this attitude of seeking more spiritual truth, then what? More spiritual truth is going to be added to you. And if you're not, then you're going to miss out. Now, we have to hold on for a second because we're like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, what about the scribes? Weren't they seekers of spiritual truth? Weren't they the ones who were constantly studying the book of the law? Weren't they the ones who are the most knowledgeable? If anything, they should, this should be applied to them. So why are they considered outsiders, Jesus, in this parable? And the answer is when you go back to the lamp. Because the lamp was what? Hidden, but yet will be revealed one day. And who is that? What was Jesus saying that was going to be hidden and eventually revealed? What, what, how has his time not come yet? The lamp is Jesus. And he's saying the measure that you need to measure yourself, the way that you need to frame your perspective or to frame your mindset is you need to filter everything through the lens of Jesus. How you hear must be filtered through the lens of Jesus. Everything has to be filtered through the lens of Jesus. If you have a Jesus paradigm, then you're going to get what? More of Jesus. How many of us we want more of Jesus? You're not sure. 
And I, I think it's a good thing to be honest with ourselves, to realize, hey, maybe we're not as insiders as we think we are. Maybe we're not hearing as well in, with Jesus' lens as we think we are. Because maybe how we're hearing is not more of Jesus, more of these other things. And, and that's, the, that's the inverse too, right? If, if you want more of Jesus, if the lens of uh, how you're seeing life is with more of Jesus, then everything else is going to be taken away, right? But if you hear with the lens of other things, then Jesus is going to be taken away because you're not going to want him. And we have all these problems with these verses like, uh, you know, why, why is Jesus hiding things from people? Why does it say like he's going to harden our hearts? It's really us hardening our hearts, already making the decision to say, Jesus, I don't want you. And Jesus is what? He's just simply saying, I'm going to let you make your own decision. There was, a, there was a season of my life where I measured, and I still do to this day, but a particular season that was very significant where I, I realized I was measuring my life by so many different things. This was my first year that I graduated. I started working, and I realized it wasn't until I started working that I realized I put so much of my measurement of how I value myself based on how well I can work and how well my colleagues think of me. I mean, that was a terrible time because I was working. I mean, those of you who are in focus, single working adults, you know your first year of work is terrifying. And your first performance review is terrifying. And man, I was so terrified. And I, I feel like I almost have PTSD from my first performance review. Every single other performance review I go into, I'm like shaking. Because I had so much criticism, even though some, of it, it was, some people were trying to help me, but I got so much criticism, I just felt like I, I can't do this anymore. And I was measuring myself uh, with the friendships that I had. And, Coincidentally, I don't think coincidentally, but coincidentally, during that season, uh, my class, the peers that I had, a lot of them started to leave. And I was like wondering, like, where are my friendships going? And I feel like, man, I, do, I have many fr- do I have great friendships? If everyone's leaving, like, what, what does this really look like? And then I, I started to also measure myself by my spirit, even my spiritual things. I was leading a life group at the time. And I also measured myself by my spiritual disciplines. I measured myself how often I prayed, how well I did my Bible reading, all that kind of stuff. And I realized, like, man, I'm doing a terrible job. And the more I measured myself by that, the more what happened? I, I, I started to have some crazy depressive thoughts during that time. I started to really get down on myself. I started to feel farther and farther away from God the more I measured myself that way. Even the good spiritual things that I thought were good spiritual things, I started to realize what? It's the way that I'm measuring myself. How good can I perform these things rather than measuring myself according to Jesus? And what little of my spiritual life during that season I had, it, it, it totally died. And that was the season where I felt farthest from Jesus because I was measuring myself by all these other things. How many of us, we're measuring ourselves by things that are not who Jesus is? You measure yourself by your work. You measure yourself by your performance. You measure yourself by your relationship. You measure yourself by anything else, your spiritual disciplines, by how you look, by how you come off to people, by how people respond to you, by how much money you can make, by by what kind of stocks you have, by what kind of children you have, by what kind of parent you are by your, your grades, your GPA, your, your anything. You, you, put in, you fill in the blank. You measure yourself by anything other than, other than Jesus and you're going to be left so disappointed and so frustrated and you're going to feel farther and farther away from God 
when Jesus is saying those things you're measuring by, no wonder. The more you measure yourself by those things, the less of Jesus you're going to have. William Leon Phelps, in uh, his book called Human Nature and the Gospel, this is what he says. He says, God speaks to me not through the thunder and the earthquake, nor through the ocean and the stars, but through what? The Son of Man. And speaks in a language adapted to my imperfect sight and hearing. How many of us were hearing God? And we recognize how, how we're hearing and we're asking God, how are you speaking to me? What is it that you're doing in my life? And, and God, the whole time he's trying to get your attention, he's saying, it's through Jesus, the Son of Man, that he's trying to speak to you. It's to measure yourself according to Jesus' measure. It's to, to help you to realize that according to Jesus, if you measure yourself, you're what? You're terrible. You're like, oh, Pastor Bill, is that what you're, you're trying to say? You're terrible. You're sinful. You're messed up. You're broken. You're, you're wicked. You, you fall short. You have nothing to offer him. And if you continue to measure yourself by Jesus, what does it say? But you're loved, but you're cherished, but you're worthy, but you're valuable, but you're purposeful. But you can have joy, you can have hope, you can have love. You can measure yourself by anything in this world and you will get disappointed. You can measure yourself by anything that the world claims will give you ultimate life and hope and satisfaction, and you will be disappointed. And it's only in Jesus, if you are listening and you're hearing, you're asking yourself, how am I hearing God? What, with what filter am I hearing? Can you find real life? And, and I, I just want to, just one last thing, is I want to speak to some of us that we really think, we're really insisting that if I could only have this, then my life will be complete. I, I want to challenge you, go try it. Go try it. And if you don't believe me, go research and go find all the people who excel in their field, who have the thing that you want so desperately. If it's money, go, go research the billionaires in this world and ask if they're happy. Go ask all the billionaires, I, I can, you can count them on your hand, how many billionaires have gotten divorces recently? How many Russian oligarchs have their assets frozen right now? I don't know why that came to mind. <laughs> How many people that thought they had it all, and then as soon as they got in the hospital with a terminal disease, what happens? Their money can't save them. Their career can't save them. Their family, can't, nothing can save you. Unless you say, Jesus, you're the one that I measure myself according to. How is your hearing? How are you hearing? And lastly, how must you hear? How must you hear? I'll read verses 26 to 34. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself the first blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests 
in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. We talked about how your hearing is. We talked about how, how, how you are to hear. How are you hearing? And now I think Mark finishes off with the question, and I think it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, how must we hear? And he gives us two parables. Now, these are the only two parables in this session, in this passage, that he explicitly is talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. And remember back in Mark 1 and Mark 2, he was saying, repent and believe, the, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying this whole thing, everything that Mark has been saying, and Jesus has been saying, it's about the kingdom of God. So what, the, what he says about the kingdom of God has to be very, very important. And it has to change something about the way that we hear what Jesus is trying to say. There's two parables. The first parable that he talks about. He talks about the kingdom of God. Sorry, before I, I go into the parable, by stacking these parables on top of each other, what is he saying? He's saying these two parables are really about the same thing. Remember, we said you cannot interpret parables allegorically, meaning you can't like look at every single part of the parable and try to pull out some kind of meaning. There is just a central meaning, a central point that Jesus is trying to get across. And now that he puts two parables side by side, it's highly likely that it's the same point that he's trying to make from these two parables. And so the first parable that he talks about is this whole parable about the sower. So he's, again, using this agricultural example of sowing the seed. But instead of talking about the soil, he's talking about the process of growth. He, he, he talks about how uh, the man scatters the seed. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And then somehow... The seed grows, and he's like, I have no idea how it grows, but it does by itself. And, and it's interesting because when you think about the kingdom of God, you need to think about what the disciples were expecting at the time. They expected the Messiah to be this shining knight in uh, uh, armor. They expected it to be a conquering king. They expected it to be this wonderful, powerful man who would lead them to victory over the Roman Empire because the Romans were oppressing the Jews at that time. And he gives this parable, he says, the kingdom of God is like a seed, a puny seed, a nothing, very insignificant, something that's mundane, boring, like, the, like, like every single day, every, every Jewish person who, who farmed knew just, there's tons of seeds, let's just throw them everywhere. But he's saying it's like a seed and it grows and how it grows, you have no idea. And it's a mystery. It's, it's hidden. It's something that you didn't expect because you thought the kingdom of God is supposed to come with fanfare and trumpets and banners and conquering kings and armies. He's saying, you don't know how it comes. You don't know how it grows. It's hidden to you. Now, the second parable, he says, even though it's a different parable, I think he's really trying to communicate the same exact thing. What does he say? He says that the kingdom of God is like what? A mustard seed. A mustard seed. He says the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds, but when it grows, it becomes this huge plant that is greater than any other plant in the, 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 the time and in the place, and all the birds of the air, they nest in its branches. Again, what is he trying to say? He's saying, you expected the kingdom of God to come and be this big thing, but the kingdom of God, it comes as this really small thing. It comes in a humble way. It comes in ways you don't expect, and then, boom, it becomes something so much greater so much bigger, so much wiser, so much more than what you could have understood. 
Now, what's the parallel? Is that the kingdom of God, it defies all of our expectations. It takes every single one of our assumptions of what the kingdom of God is like, is who Jesus is, and it tears it down. It flips 180 degrees. It goes upside down, inside out. And why is Jesus telling us this and constantly telling us, he who has ears, let him hear? He's saying, all of you outsiders, you have this fixed mindset of what the kingdom of God looks like. You have this fixed mindset of how your life as a Christian should go. You have this fixed idea of how your life should look like as a Christian and as a follower of me. And you have to be okay when things don't go according to your plan. And the way that you hear and the way that you follow and the way that you understand the kingdom of God coming has to be outside of your expectations. So what does that mean? If we can't hold on to our expectations, what do we do? That means we have to be humble. We have to be teachable. We have to be contrite. We have to let go. We have to surrender. We have to say, God, I don't know what it is that you want for me. God, I don't know if this job is the, is the job that you want me in. I don't know if this is the person that you want me to be with for the rest of my life. I don't know, I mean, unless you're married, okay? Those of you who are married, you better, you better know for sure. But those of you who are like, oh, I like this person, I like that guy, I like this girl, how do you know? How can you be so sure? You're like, oh, but, but Pastor Bo, they, they meet all my qualifications, they, 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 all my non-negotiables, they hit all of them. But what if God wants the exact opposite for you of what you want? Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. And it becomes difficult. How many of us, we're in, in a job that we don't want to be in? And we constantly flip from job to job to job to job until we can find the correct job. What's the correct job? Maybe your understanding of the correct job isn't God's understanding of the correct job. Maybe you're in a major that you hate. And I feel bad because I feel like the system makes it so hard to find a major that you're really interested in. But maybe, just maybe, God has other plans for you that you had no idea about. Maybe there's certain people that he wants you to meet certain professors that he wants you to build a relationship with, certain concepts or lessons that he wants you to learn. Some of you are like, why am I in the family that I'm in? And there's been so much hurt and brokenness. And I don't think God intentionally wants you to be hurt. I don't think God caused you to be a victim in certain situations. But maybe, just maybe, there is a greater overarching purpose that God has for you to be in the family that you are in, to be with the people that you're in, to have the upbringing that you have, to be in Hong Kong. Some of you are like, man, I just, why am I here? And there's so many things. Maybe God has a purpose for you. And the challenge for us, Mark is giving us this rhetorical question, how must you hear? We must hear with an understanding that maybe the way that we think things ought to go is not the way that God wants us to go. And ultimately, you know, like, I, I feel it too. I'm like, man, this is so hard. 
this is so hard. How, how can you let go of all these things? How can, how can you really measure yourself with, with Jesus when there's so many other things that are so enticing? And, and every single day, I, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I, I question my motivation because I know I constantly fall short and I constantly drift away from God. And I know I should make it all about Jesus, but I can't. And if you notice the undercurrent of all the parables that Jesus talks about, yes, he's challenging us. How is it that you're hearing? How is your hearing and how must you hear? Yes, he's asking us about our hearing. But in order to hear, what must happen before? Someone's got to speak. And the good news is that someone has already spoken. All throughout these parables, who is the sower? Someone has already sowed the seed. Someone has already spoken the word. Someone has already done the first act that allows us to hear in the first place. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Is he is the one who comes first and gives us the, even the ability to hear and to have faith and to trust in him. And, it, and, and it not only is he the first one, but it is amazing that when we are called to hear and we are, we are, we are challenged with the way that we're hearing, and, and we're like, man, God, do I just got to hear better? And I don't know if I can hear better. I got to try harder. Jesus says what? I'm going to replace, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be unheard by God so that you could be heard by God. John, 1 John 5, verse 13 to 15, this is what he says. I write these things to you, to those, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. And we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The only reason why we can hear God is because he heard us first. He is the one who shut his own son out. That when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my God, my, or when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cut his own son off. To the point where Jesus could not hear God, couldn't, was, not, was cut off from fellowship with God. He could not hear God. So that what? So that he could hear us. He could hear our cries. He could hear our brokenness. He could hear our tears. He could hear all the brokenness that we've been through, all the insufficiency, all the, the ways that we fall short. He, hear, he hears us. And that's the only thing that could possibly turn us around and realize, God, maybe I just need to come and hear you back. The things that you're trying to say to me every single day. That's why the one thing is that the kingdom of God is revealed to those that hear and follow Jesus, but concealed to those who are not. The next steps, I'm going to just give us a couple. If we could just apply this practically, number one is how is your hearing? Don't assume that your heart is right. Don't. Don't make any assumption. Don't wake up in the morning thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the greatest person and I, I can hear. I, I know none of us, we wake up that way. But you really have to check yourself, question yourself. As I'm going to class, as I'm going to work, as I'm, as I'm doing this church thing, as I'm serving on a ministry team, don't assume that your heart is right. Don't assume that your hearing is good. Say, God, maybe my hearing is not right. Maybe I'm filtering these things through the wrong lens. Secondly is, how are you hearing? Discern your heart's true filter. As you're asking yourself, as you're recognizing, hey, God, maybe my hearing isn't good. 
then you have to ask yourself, if my hearing isn't good, then with what filter, what incorrect filter am I measuring myself with? Is it my work? Is it what people think of me? Is it my desire for power or for control? Is it my yearning for comfort? With what filter, with what measure am I hearing with? You have to know, because if you don't know, then there's no way you're going to be able to turn and hear God. And then lastly is, how must you hear? Decide what your heart values. Do you really value the kingdom of God? Do you really value the things that he values? Are you willing to submit and surrender say, God, I know these are things that I want, but I know yours are so much greater. And I want to trust in you. We have to make a decision at some point to say, God, I'm going to decide. I'm, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to hope in you rather than myself, the things of this world. May this be true of us. May we hear God for who he is. May we hear with his lens and his filter, and may we hear with his values. Can we stand and we're going to respond together? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.